0: Feel free to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. We'll be reading from verses one through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love... He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory.
1: So, over the past few years, I've been using an app to track all of my exercise. And so here's a record of my activities in the DMV region. All the orange lines are places where I've cycled or run or hiked or walked. This is the only thing I'm OCD about. See, when you zoom in, I gotta say, it looks kind of impressive, right? Look at all those lines. But if you zoom out a bit further, to so the continent, you'll see a few other activities scattered across Canada America where I've gone for a walk or a run or hopped on a bike share when I visited a city for a conference or vacationing. Now zoom out even further, you might even see the global map and you can't probably see it on here, but some things show up and if you could zoom in a bit further, then you could see that I had some activities in Hong Kong and Spain and in Israel, Palestine, even on my tour, walking tours there. So, The further we zoom out, though, you realize, the less impressive it is. Now, I realize there's still a lot of the world to see and yet to be covered. And when we look closer in at our lives, immediately before us, our accomplishments can seem pretty impressive. And in those inevitable times when things don't go the way that we expect, our problems can seem pretty overwhelming. But when we zoom out a bit and set things in the context of this bigger picture, it really does put things in perspective. What we think is a big deal may not be as big of a deal as we think. And what we might think is an overwhelming circumstance might be relatively tiny in large of this larger picture. So our life with God can often be like that too. Our sense of what is just and what is good and... And right might make us feel closer to God or the problems and the disappointments that inevitably hit our lives might make seem God seem further away than God actually is now it's certainly understandable to view the world through your own eyes and your own lived experience but what if we could see the world in our lives from a different perspective That's what the book of of Paul's letter to the Ephesians helps us with. It helps us see this bigger picture of what God is doing and how to live our lives in light of that bigger picture. And today, we're going to begin this message series on the book of Ephesians. Over the next few months, we're going to walk through this entire book, um, this entire letter to help us live well in light of this bigger picture that God lays out and what God is doing in the world. So let me give some initial comments on this genre of literature known as an epistle or as a letter. It's different from like wisdom literature or historical narrative or poetry that we find in scripture. Epistles or letters are sent, are, are letters that are sent to an individual or a group of individuals that are meant to be read aloud. Therefore, reading a letter like the Ephesians, is like hearing one side of a conversation. It's like reading someone else's email or texts, just their side. There's a particular group of people being addressed in a particular circumstance for a particular occasion. See, where a letter to the Romans was Paul's introduction to the Christian church before he visited the city for the first time. He laid things out a certain way for that purpose. The church in Ephesus was known to Paul. He had visited Ephesus on a previous missionary journey and he writes this letter about 11 years after that and likely has had some other correspondence and a relationship that has been established. So we read Paul's letters to the different churches with this in mind. These situations and audiences help us understand the significance and relevance to us as hearers and hopefully doers of God's word today. The ancient city of Ephesus is located in what is now modern-day Turkey. It is a port city, it was a port city, whose people were fascinated with magic and the occult, and that's why Paul emphasizes the power of the living God that we find throughout this letter. In a city where the temple of the goddess Artemis featured largely in the city's social life and religious life, and there is also extreme stratification between The the few wealthy people in the city, um, in in Acts, were told about a silversmith named Demetrius. And the the few wealthy people, but most of the people who lived there were pretty poor. They were slaves. They lived on subsistence living. And so this message of God's blessing in Jesus offered true hope for the majority of the people who lived there, who often felt that they were at the mercy of all these powers beyond their control. The risen and ascended Jesus offered assurance of God's supreme rule over all things in this age, but also in the next. So that's the context of the, of the Christian church in this city that Paul is writing to. They're navigating this in-your-face presence of spiritual, social, and economic power and imbalance in their city. So that's, that's the context. So he kicks off with this standard initial greeting, kind of like the header of your email to, from, subject. And he sets the tone by declaring the praiseworthiness of God. And he launches into this warm exhortation to praise God in verse 3. Which we find, actually, from verse 3 all the way through verse 14 is actually one long sentence. <laughs> it's one sentence. It's probably like 15 in, 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 uh, in English. So, side note though, thinking of that, if Paul were ever to serve in U.S. Congress and his party ever wanted to filibuster, you'd probably want him on your side. Yeah. So he launches saying this, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 3 centers praise as the topic of this entire section. It's reinforced by several other mentions of to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace in verses 6, verses 12, and verses 14. And from that initial thesis statement in verse 3, Paul goes on to describe three reasons for this kind of praise. Now I know we've seen Matt Redmond's song 10,000 Reasons, and that song is an encouragement for us to recognize all the ways that God Causes, uh, blesses us, that causes us to respond in gratitude towards God. But Paul here makes it easier than 10,000. He just names three. And in this one extended sentence, he gives three reasons for the Ephesian church to have this ebullient praise towards God. We praise God because God has, one, blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's what he says in verse 3. Secondly, because God has predestined us to be adopted As God's children in verse 5. Third, God has made known to us the mystery of God's will in verse 9. So we're going to walk through these three reasons in the rest of the message today. Three reasons for praise and blessing that are God's doing, not our doing. It's God that blesses us, it's God that predestines and chooses, and it's God that makes known to us the mystery of God's will. Admittedly, each of those can be a sermon or two or three on its own. But we will do our best to get through these in a way that helps us see this big picture of God's work and our reason for praise. So praise for every spiritual blessing. You might ask, well, how does this even work? How can we be blessed with every spiritual blessing in a world that seems broken and divided? This just seems like a pipe dream. It's like nice words to a song, easy to say makes you feel good but it's not real life the key to understanding this phrase is uh, every spiritual blessing is understanding what that phrase is referring to the adjective spiritual here isn't talking about spiritual versus secular or material or worldly things It's not spiritual as sacred versus secular or material versus immaterial or eternal versus temporary. The spiritual blessings here have to do with those blessings that come directly to us through our life in the Spirit of God, made especially clear by the modifier, in Christ. This phrase in "in Christ is Paul's shorthand. You'll see it throughout this um, letter, but through all of his letters he goes in Christ in him through him through Christ it's paul's shorthand to describe the nature of our relationship with god and the nature the kind of life that god's people have for those who have re- responded to god's love for us by trusting in jesus paul's use of in christ is kind of like the apostle john's use of being born again in his gospel it's a description, a shorthand description of this life that is joined to God because of Jesus. All to say, those who have responded to faith in in faith to Jesus already have access to this life in the Spirit of God. When we trust Jesus, the very Spirit of God lives inside of us. And therefore, we have access to these spiritual blessings, though we may not see, though we may not experience the fullness of all of them in this present life until the age to come. Now, some of you with keen ears right now might think, well, isn't God's spirit at work in all people? And aren't we all made in in the image of God? And does this mean that every spiritual blessing is available to every single person? Yes and no. Yes, all humans are made in the image of God. And because of that, every human has the capacity to bear some aspects of God's character. And yes, God's spirit may be at work in the hearts of every single person through their conscience and through their sense of what is good and beautiful and just. So yes, in this sense, but also no in another sense. We also see that this life in the Spirit of God also describes an act of God that results in a life of faith and trust and repentance in following Jesus. In the Gospel of John, as I've already mentioned, Jesus describes this work of God's Spirit when he says to Nicodemus, he says, unless one is born of water, like born in the natural biological self, but also born in the Spirit, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. One cannot be in relationship with the divine unless you are born again. Jesus is echoing imagery from the prophet Ezekiel who, is, uh, who said the Lord would sprinkle clean water on his people to make them clean and to put my spirit within you. So this life of being blessed by God with every spiritual blessing is itself an act of God's grace towards those who would respond in faith and trust in Jesus. So it's in this sense that those who are joined to God through faith in Christ have access to every spiritual blessing. This is cause for blessing and praise for those who follow Jesus. Because it means that there is hope. It means that there is joy. Because all of the life of God has been made available to us through God's own action in Jesus. That's what verse 3 is getting at. We can praise God because all of the life of God is available to us through his son, Jesus. Reason two, we can praise God because God has predestined God's children for adoption. This sense of God's initiative and sovereign plan is captured even more clearly in the second reason that Paul gives in verse 4 and 5 when he says, He has chosen us in him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship or family through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will now there's so much packed in here these few verses and I was mind blown when I read verse four for the very first time in a way like whoa this is really what it says Because if you read and think about it, it says, before the creation of the world, God had a plan for God's people to be God's people. Before the creation of the world. Before sending Jesus, before calling the people of Israel to be his people, before giving them the Torah, before leading them out of Egyptian captivity before preserving Noah and his family in the global flood, before Adam and Eve ever ate of the fruit and introduced sin into the world, before the world and the universe were even created, God had a plan for his people to be God's people. God predestined us for adoption to God's family through Jesus Christ. Belonging to God's family isn't because you're born at the right time in history or because you're born in the right culture or speak the right language. Being born into God's family isn't because you lived a good enough life or because you worship God the right way. It is completely and utterly dependent on God's plan that existed before creation began. Now, much has been written in Christian history about what this concept of election and predestination means, and I'm not going to get into in this message. If you want to talk about it after the service, come and talk to me after the service. People have questioned whether these statements signal that God's will is somehow in irreconcilable tension with individual free will and choice. But let me just say this for the purpose of today. Take note of Paul's use of plural pronouns. And consider who it is that he is referring to and these two things that these pronouns help us with. First, the use of plural pro- pronouns means that God's chosenness and God's preordained plan for who is accepted into God's family has to do with a group of people, not you as an individual. It has to do with a group of people, not with you as an individual. Though we as individuals have a responsibility to respond to God's. Invitation, and we benefit individually from God's blessing, the focus of predestination here has to do with God's sovereign plan for God's people rather than on whether a particular individual has been selected to belong to that group. That's first. Secondly, take note of the pro- taking note of the pronouns helps us clarify further. Throughout this opening chapter, Paul makes use of the we, you, us, uh, pronouns. Consider carefully who the subject of those we and us versus you are and who they might be referring to as they go along because it actually changes. And first in the opening statement in the greetings it goes the you is referring to God's holy people in Ephesus. The Christian bo- body of Christ gathered in Ephesus. In verses 3 through 10 there's this us that he's referring to. And all of these us's are all who are in Christ. All who have responded to God in Christ. All of, verse 3 says, all of God's holy people blessed in Christ, who have been adopted into God's family through Christ, verse 5, who have been recipients of God's grace, which he has freely given us and in the one he loves, verse 6, and that God's grace has been lavished upon, verse 8. It's the us is talking about, all of the body of Christ. But then in verse 11 and 14, he starts switching. He goes, us and you, us and you. And the us in this case is those of Jewish descent, Jewish followers of Jesus. He says, we who were first to put our hope in Christ versus you, that's verse 12. And in verses in you, where he is talking about Gentile Christians and you because he says there you also who are included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit in verse 13 so all to say the nature of god's predestination has to do with two groups of people god predestines those who would come with god into life in the life to come and those Predestines those who who would a group that would not, and this gives us great reason for praise. God has known what God was going to do to display His love and glory through creation since the beginning of time to welcome many into this life with God. And this leads us to the final reason for God's praiseworthiness: praise for the mystery revealed. See, any time a mystery is revealed is worthy of praise. Like the mystery of finding out that Darth Vader is Luke's father. (laughs) But there's one other pop culture mystery that still remains to be solved. Why is Donald Duck, who is a duck, a semi-aquatic animal that spends half of his life in water, why does he put on swimming trunks to go surfing? But when he steps out of the shower, he covers himself. But the rest of the time, he walks around with a shirt and no pants. Mystery. (laughs) I think so. Inquiring minds want to know. God has solved another more important mystery for us, though. Verses 9 and 10, what does God do? God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In the time of Paul's writing, making known a mystery refers to disclosing a previously hidden secret. It's not just solving a a, a mystery novel. Paul uses the word mystery 21 times in all of his letters, six times in Ephesians by itself. And he uses mystery to refer to different aspects of God that are now revealed, God and God's plan. In this first mention of mystery now revealed in chapter 1, it seems that Paul is referring to two kinds of mysteries that are very related. One, which is very explicit, he says, the mystery of this all-inclusive plan of God to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's what he says in verse 10. That's this mystery that has now been revealed. In Jesus, all things are coming back together again. That's what's happening. That's the mystery that the Jewish people were waiting for in their worship. But secondly, that which we have already alluded to, there's this mystery of Gentiles, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, being joined, or non-Jewish people being joined into the, God's family with the Jews, and participating in life with God together because of Jesus. And these two mysteries are not independent of one another. The overarching mystery is that God is uniting all things under Christ, under heaven and earth, reconciling all things in heaven and earth through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and soon return. And part of that reconciling all things is the inclusion of Gentiles, Gentile Christians into the plan of God. See, without Jesus, this plan to include Gentiles into God's plan of of salvation for the world would never have been possible. Because as far as I... And that's a lot to be thankful for. Because as far as I understand, most of us listening here today aren't descendants of Abraham. And thereby included in God's promise of blessing to the Israelite people. But because Jesus came on the scene... God's promise to the Israelites has been expanded to include everyone who responds to Jesus in faith. See, even more than sharing in the inheritance of uh, God's blessing on the Israelites is that Jesus' followers get to participate in God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth. We become part of God's universal big-picture plan that God prepared before the beginning, the creation of the universe. That's reason for praise, isn't it? God's foreknowledge and love and desire to restore all things is that significant. Amidst all the competing claims to power and mysteries being solved, Paul is helping the Ephesian church and for all of us who would listen today. Recall that the living God who sends Jesus, the Son, has accomplished the plan completely and decisively. There's nothing more needed except to trust and follow Jesus. Because of God's initiative, all who are in Christ have every spiritual blessing made available to us who have been adopted into God's family and who have seen the mystery that has once been hidden now revealed in Christ. And so our lives can be lived in generous response to God. If we find our praise of God somewhat limited or constricted at times, I wonder if we lift our eyes up to this big picture view of how God has blessed us, has blessed all of creation through God's Son, Jesus. How that might just give us reason to respond in praise, in gratitude, and joy, and trust in God. Those who find themselves in Christ find themselves secure, loved, and participating in the most significant and eternal storyline ever written that began before the universe began. With God's help, may we see this bigger picture story. And live compellingly to the praise of God's glory. Amen. Amen.